Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Spooky Chicks and Horror Flicks. We are your hosts, Emma. And I'm Allie. And we are so excited to talk about actually one of my favorite films today and our third film of our summer slasher series installment. Fourth episode overall, so we're very excited either way. But we are going to be reviewing A Nightmare on Elm Street, the 1984 classic written and directed by Wes Craven. I feel like you say every movie is your favorite, but like I, I will give you the benefit <laughs> of the doubt right there. <laughs> See, this is also why I didn't really want us to have a full-on rating system yeah. for these episodes because I would across the board all the time be like, it's, it's my favorite. I love it. <laughs> Fair so enough. please always take my thoughts with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, I'm more of like the bad cop. I'm like, but this is like exactly why I wanted to do this with you in the beginning of time was because I knew you would make a great counterpart to my positive thoughts. <laughs> and I'm just the negative. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wait, I'm absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say out of several of the ones we've done so far, this is probably... One of my more favorite okay. classic mm-hmm. films. So there's a few things that we like to start off with before we officially get into the review. I think first things first is, Emma, what are we drinking today? <laughs> we have a special drink today. And I also want to say that our favorite gal, Allison, is drinking something different today for once. <laughs> That's me, by the way. <laughs> That's me. That's me, in case no one knows yet. We are drinking a marvelous white wine mm-hmm. from Folktale Vineyard in Carmel Valley, California. And this wine is very special because it is called the White Witch, which has a special witch <laughs> has a special <laughs> meaning to both myself and Allie. We both kind of call each other the White Witch. We both love Stevie Nicks mm-hmm. and Fleetwood Mac. And we are both witches. Yes. And we have matching moon tattoos on the back of our arms. So so that's that's what we're drinking is the White Witch today. And it's wine. Look at me go. Look at her go. Well, cheers, know, Allie. Cheers. To episode four. Also, I'm going to see Stevie Nicks in November, so... I don't want to talk about this because you have concert privilege, okay. which we've talked about several times I before. Know. But my, my bad. Okay, Taylor Swift, Stevie Nicks, okay. Okay. Britney Spears. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Story okay. for another day. I do not deny my concert privilege. Thank you, everyone. Well, after you know that marvelous cheers we just had, why don't we talk about our rose and thorns for the yeah? Week? You go first. I feel like I went Ooh. first last time. I have another travel rose. So I know that on last episode, we talked about how I went to the river with uh, some of my friends and the producer and had a really great time. I also got to go up to Carmel this last weekend and hang out with some of my very, very best friends. Shout out Carly and Shelby and little Willow and Rachel got to hang out with you gals too. That was really fun. And we just had a marvelous time. We wine tasted, got absolutely Trash, trash <laughs> at several wineries and had a really, really fun time. And Carmel is just so beautiful. And weirdly enough, San Diego was going through essentially a hurricane while I was gone. And the weather in Carmel was absolutely beautiful, which it's usually very foggy and kind of dreary up there. So it was really a nice change of pace. And for my thorn, I think my thorn is that I accidentally left my deodorant there. And it's oh, like my no. absolute favorite natural deodorant. So that's a little bit of a bummer. It was brand new but it's all good she's gonna get another one so i think that's like it's a small thorn it's a small thorn a small thorn on a very small bush so it's all good 
But you still got that big old rose. I do. You're right. Titanic. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so piggybacking off of what you said, my thorn was Hurricane Hillary with one L. And it wasn't necessarily a thorn. You know, us San Diegans don't really see much of any kind of storm or tropical storm or potential hurricane or anything like that. And everybody was hunkering down and I have this mindset, need to stay inside, need to stay inside. <laughs> it was a drizzle, okay? <laughs> it wasn't really. It, there was a lot of rain, but it wasn't wind whipping or anything. And I, I feel bad for anybody who actually experienced like, some, it's like some impact from it. Yeah, yeah. My feelings go out to you, but essentially it was just a little bit of rain for us. So Hurricane Hillary, you wasted my Saturday, but like I get it. <laughs> My rose then is Hurricane Hillary kind of made me chill out for a second because I'm always go, go, go. Yes. So I relaxed. I took a nap. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. I know. And I ate so many hot dogs and grilled cheeses and it was lovely. (laughs) Those are her two favorite foods, by the way. It's my (laughs) favorite. And air fryers are amazing. We use the air fryer (laughs) so much. And I got to spend time with my family and just like chill out for a sec. So, you know, rose and thorn all in one. Allie, I love you so much because you and I have not yet jumped on the air fryer bandwagon. And we're maybe the last two people on the planet. On the literal planet. I have one too. (laughs) See, you're one step ahead of me. I don't even have one. The producer yells at me all the time and is like, why do we not have an air fryer here? you can do literally anything in an air fryer. And and it takes so much less time than an oven. It tastes better. It's crispier. I use the air fryer probably like with the help of my mom, obviously, because I'm still 12. Um, I don't know. Six times this weekend. It was awesome. (laughs) For everything. For everything. I know. We were actually talking. We got a huge 100 count bag of pizza rolls in my freezer right now. Oh, well, what are we doing? (laughs) Cancel this and let's go eat some pizza rolls. And the producer saw them in there and is like, we're popping these in the air fryer stat. And I was like, I don't have an air fryer. Bro, Target. Let's go. Okay, we'll go. We'll go. Okay. All right. Well, then moving right along, we are going to dive into our trivia questions. Get your pens and pencils ready. The first one is... Which rapper sang the 1988 hit Nightmare on My Street? I don't know. (laughs) I have actually zero clue, so I'm going to throw out some weird answers. Question number two. This film uses a rotating room practical effect and is one of the first five films to ever use it, but not the first horror film. Name that film. I think I know it. I think I do, too. Well, did you write it down? I did. Okay. (laughs) Bitch. Keep that in there. (laughs) Okay. Question number three. What film is Nancy watching as she attempts to stay awake? I know this. So do I. I'm only a little bit questioning which one in my head. Well, I'm putting down what I think the producer's going to say. All right, listeners. So as a reminder, we will reveal the answers to our three trivia questions at the end of the episode. Getting right into the film, A Nightmare on Elm Street was made in 1984 and was directed by Wes Craven and also written by Wes Craven. And in terms of the IMDb score, this film got a 7.4 out of 10. And I know we've been saying recently on a lot of our episodes that we're so surprised that the all these horror movies are getting high ratings, even though normally horror movies don't get that high of ratings. But this is yet another. Yeah. And for the Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter is 94%. Wait, what? 94% on the tomato meter. Ooh, yes. That is high. And then the audience score is 84%. And I think we've been seeing some consistency of like the tomato meter 
being higher than the audience score mm-hmm. yeah. in this series. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> it's very interesting, nonetheless. It's, yeah, and as these cult classics become more culty and classic... <laughs> Perhaps the score goes up. I'm not sure. Perhaps it does. Yeah. You know, and I feel like they probably get increased scores too every year around like Halloween when people are also oh, rewatching sure. horror movies and things like that. But also just a little note about Wes Craven. If you don't know who Wes Craven is, you live in a cave. <laughs> Um, Which is totally okay. We love caves. We love caves. Caves are awesome. Love a good cave. Invite me. Invite us. Yes. It's probably some cool shit happening in that cave. (laughs) It probably is. (laughs) But he is an iconic horror film writer, director, all those things. I am a little bit biased because I am a huge fan of Scream and the Scream series. And he was a major part of that, obviously. And he also did The Hills Have Eyes, the new one and the old one. And I was reading about West. And he directed a Goo Goo Dolls music video. Do I know which one? Absolutely not. I'm also not surprised (laughs) at all. Don't come after me if he didn't, because (laughs) I was reading this on the internet and the internet lies sometimes. And he did My Soul to Take. I'm not sure if you remember this or if you ever saw it. It's a core core memory of mine. Hot little blonde boy in high school. You know, he does a report about the California condor and how they're going extinct and he kind of becomes one. He was oh my Craven- God, like anamorphs. Okay, I don't know what that is. It's a book. It's a book? You remember the book? You remember you'd see the covers of like a person, a teenager, like transforming into an animal? No, you nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, my soul to take. <laughs> I'm calling all Animorph fans right now. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm going to be canceled. (laughs) But anyways, a core memory of mine was watching that in high school. Kind of messed with me. (laughs) Wes, to me, was kind of iconic in many facets. And unfortunately, he passed away in 2015. R.I.P., brother. R.I.P., his memory lives in my heart, my brain, and In your California condor. In my California (laughs) condor. And your Animorphs, you freak. (laughs) Okay, okay. I quit with the name calling, but... (laughs) Oh, sorry. I love you. It's okay. I love you too. (laughs) And going into our top build cast from that, we have quite a few people on here that are definitely iconic, A, because of this film. And it also kind of started and kickstarted a lot of careers. So in terms of our top build cast, we have Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy, our main gal, our final gal, if you will. We have Johnny Depp, Mm -hmm. who plays Glenn Lance. And this is Johnny's first movie. It's his first role ever. Just a little deep dive into Johnny. After this film, he went on to do a couple more like B-movies and a few years later, he went straight into 21 Jump Street, which was a huge TV show for him. Iconic. And then he jumped straight into his hot boy era. Not that he wasn't in this. Like, woof, mama. Like... (laughs) He was a cutie in cutie Nightmare, pie. yeah. Mm-hmm. But he went into Crybaby, Edward Scissorhands. Ugh, Edward. And Why then, is Edward so hot, even though he's so weird? Every version of Johnny Depp is so hot. Is so hot. That's so true. I know. Like, no matter what he plays. I know. Like, even, arguably. Let's hear it. Willy Wonka. Are you saying Willy Wonka? Okay. Maybe. Your face. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm just, I was going to say just a little bit. Okay. Not a lot. All right. There's something like hot about how weird he is. I don't know. I'll take any Johnny. That's all I'm saying, everyone. Okay. And then something interesting that I actually didn't know, probably because I haven't seen it, but... But he comes back to the Freddy franchise in 91 and Freddy's dead. And he's listed as guy on TV. That's his (laughs) listing credit. 
And maybe maybe that's a reason for me to go and watch that. I think so. Or not. And I just have that knowledge in the back of my brain. This was like Johnny's jumping off point. And thank goodness for Wes and team. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your service. Thank you for our Johnny. Thank you. Thank you for our Johnny. Thank you. We love Johnny. Keeping on going down the list, we have Robert England, which is our Freddy Krueger. Fred Krueger. And he played Freddy Krueger in all of the nine films except for the latest rendition, which I believe the producer said came out in 2010. I have not seen that one and I probably won't just because Robert England is not in it. So. so I have seen it, I believe, but it's also the role is taken by Jackie Earl Haley and he is also kind of an iconic actor. You know, I probably have seen this film but won't watch it again because I don't remember enough to want to watch it, but he's a pretty great actor and I am sure he did amazing things in this film because he's also like small and creepy in the best of ways. <laughs> exactly. But what I thought was interesting about Robert England England? England? I think it's just, is, yeah, England. This was his horror breakout moment. He had previously been on some obscure... Didn't he play like an alien on something? I don't know if he played an alien, but he played the comedic relief in a show called V. But him being the comedic relief makes sense because Freddy Krueger is pretty fucking funny. He's funny. This, so yeah. he brings that comedy <laughs> to this role and I'm like, he it does. makes it kind of more lovable. He does. He does. In a very does. strange way. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have John Saxon, who plays Lieutenant Thompson. And then another person I wanted to note in this film is actually Ronnie Blakely, who plays Nancy's mom in this film. And we have quite a few comments about Nancy's mom. But one just quick fun fact that I found out about Nancy's mom is that she actually originally starred in the 1975 version of Nashville. And fun fact, you know, then she went on to star in this film as Nancy's mom in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Later on in 2010, Connie Britton is in the 2010 film. And a funny story is just a few years after that, I believe she starred in the Nashville show that was reprised in the The 2010s. Well, Connie Britton. So it's just like a funny little tie that like they both were in Freddy Krueger movies and then both starred in Nashville separately. I did not. Isn't that interesting? Well, if you kind of think about it, I guess they look somewhat similar. Like the, you know, the beautiful reddish hair Mm -hmm. and the fair skin and the eyes. So another interesting thing about this film is that it's supposed to take place in Springwood, Ohio, but it's very clear throughout watching this film that there are a lot of scenes in Los Angeles. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of funny. Yes, it's supposed to be in Ohio, small town, you know, suburbia, Ohio, and yet there's scenes that are clearly the Venice Canal. (laughs) So clearly. You can see... um, Like, those are not in Ohio. (laughs) Yes. You can see Nancy and Glenn walking across the Venice canals in Ohio? Yeah. (laughs) And there's palm trees? I didn't know palm trees existed in Ohio, but I've also never been to Ohio, so correct me if I'm wrong. You know what? I agree with that fact. (laughs) I have not either. (laughs) But it's pretty funny. And another interesting thing is because their budget was so limited on this film, Nancy's house is their actual set that you see in the film. And the shots between Nancy and Glenn where they're talking on the phone, like, I come to the window, whatever. The house across the street is actually where the film was shot. So they were actually directly across the street. That's so filming funny. That. Isn't that romantic? Yeah. Like the actual sets were like across from each other. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. Isn't it? I love a fun fact like that. 
Isn't it cute? <laughs> this movie kind of broke the mold of the classic horror film. Classic meaning all these campy, stabby, and girls being clumsy horror films that came before it. It kind of portrayed a different kind of idea and a stronger woman aspect. You know, Nancy is, she sticks up for herself and she is trying to get shit done. Meanwhile, other people are in her way. And she's still a strong woman. And it's not a campy classic, I'm chasing you, but I walk really slow and I have a chainsaw or a a knife. But what interested Emma and I, the idea behind someone killing you in your dreams, they're coming to you in your dreams and that's how they're going to pursue you and kill you. Interestingly enough, the inspiration behind that was coming from a Cambodian lore of people being afraid to fall asleep because they actually had studies that they were dying in their dreams because of this, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were literally having nightmares and then dying. Yes. So I just thought that was so interesting. Like, how cool is that to break that mold? And I mean, not cool, but not cool. (laughs) Cool for the real life people, but cool for the cinema, horror cinema. (laughs) Just breaking the mold. Yeah. And then another tie there is actually this new concept in horror filmmaking. It went on to inspire other films like Insidious, Inception, where things are involving your dreams and how that can translate to reality. Which to me is quite terrifying because I have plenty of nightmares. Yeah. (laughs) Don't know about you. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually telling the producer that I have a recurring nightmare that I've had for years and I maybe have it only like once a year or twice a year, but it involves werewolves. So that is one of my greatest fears actually is werewolves. Kind of inspired by the movie Silver Bullet, Stephen oh. King. I-, I feel you there. Definitely have some nightmares sometimes and they can feel so real. They really do. And I'll share if you're sharing. My recurring nightmare is it's always on Halloween Eve. So wait, really? Yes. And it's me being tickled to death by a witch named Cookie and her assistant named Assistant. And Kevin, my husband, always teases me about it. And it's the same people every time, every always Cookie time. and the assistant. Mm-hmm. Have you connected the dots in anything? Like any no, childhood I don't books? want to. Okay, got it. Okay, so we'll go ahead and we're just going to drop it. Moving on, moving on. Please, Cookie and assistant, disregard that I've mentioned you. <laughs> We are not summoning you. We are not. Please. Oh, no. (laughs) But it's really interesting to see the transformation of like, it's not just slashers and everything. It's being more inventive with how horror can play out. Another fun fact that we thought was cool was Wes Craven's inspiration for Freddy is very transparent. Freddy's facade is he's burnt. He's a burnt victim. Yeah, he's this man who is his entire body looks like burned flesh and he wears very old ratty clothes and he's just very, I don't want to say that people that are burned look scary because that's definitely not the case. But the way that they make Freddy look in this film is they take the burn look and just heighten it to another level. Yeah, Wes Craven saw somebody who looked like that when he was a young boy and that image was, no pun intended, burned into his brain and he translated that to this character as well as when he was young he saw a drunken or appeared to be drunk man walking down the street who wore a hat that resembled what they portrayed Freddy to wear in the film. So he was like yes. I think the funniest part to this person's detriment or maybe not Fred Krueger. Freddy Krueger was Wes's schoolyard bully when he was little. So that was his actual name was Fred Krueger the one that bullied him in real life. Which is crazy that he just went and named him the exact name <laughs> and I'm like, who would I name as my? <laughs> I have one in my. So head do right I. Now. I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> uh, you know who you are. You know. Well, mine's probably not listening, but <laughs> mine's probably not either. <laughs> but it's just interesting to 
see the interpretation of how all of these things affected him when he was young, and then he just put it onto the, the screen. Yep. And then another interesting fact is, so Wes Craven wrote this. This is his baby, and he'd done a couple projects before, but this was his potential, you know, take off into the moon. This is going to be a hit kind of thing. And so wrote it, directed it. He signed up with a guy named Bob Shea to produce it, and they had a lot of conflicting ideas about the film, which aren't that interesting, but both of them got their way in the end of it. Yeah. Bob Shea is this eccentric guy. He started out in the film business by panhandling VHSs to college students. Like, literally, like, imagine a guy in a trench coat with VHSs being like, you want one? Like, like what kind of VHSs? He was basically like- blockbuster in a trench coat, but controversial for some reason? I don't know. Huh. Yeah. And okay. a, an extremely more random fact, his sister, Lynn Shea, you can see in this film, as well as several popular franchises like Insidious, Ouija, also something about Mary. <laughs> she's got she's got a diverse portfolio. She does. <laughs> but it's famous family. Wow. But something extremely crazy is this film kicked off New Line Cinema. And I know all of you have heard of New Line Cinema. So they quote this film as the house that Freddie built because New Line Cinema was built off the back of this movie. You will recognize so many films that New Line Cinema came to produce and direct and making all those things like Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, Austin Powers, Seven, What's in the Box. Hello. What's in the Box. What's in the Box. It's my dick in a box. Oh, different thing. (laughs) Different thing. Also, Boogie Nights, Allie's Guilty Pleasure. Don't ask me about it. (laughs) They also did The Notebook and even Lord of the Rings. So Freddie walked so all of these could run. Boogie Nights could run. You know what I really liked about those facts, Allie? They were interesting and they were fun. You know what? Let me just grab my thesaurus so I'm more prepared and can't. Don't I know we got to say something besides fun fact. <laughs> I feel like we always say that. So now moving into the actual film, we start the opening scene very interestingly. There is a hello. <laughs> you did. God damn it. Thanks for that call-out producer. God, the producer is just such an a-hole. Okay, we saw something that I thought was cool. <laughs> it was a cool way to start the film. <laughs> See, it's hard. <laughs> but we start with a scene that is sort of a close-up of a man, and they are putting together the famous glove, which... Another fun fact. <laughs> Freddy fact. Is that the actual glove that we will see in this film that Freddy wears is a glove made of knives. And I found out today that the knives are tomato knives. Tomatoes? <laughs> Which like sounds so cute and innocent yeah. when you talk about them, but like real tomato knives, I mean, they need to be able to cut like tomatoes that are very soft and so they're probably sharp as hell. Well, sure. And they're also like killing people. So there's Maybe also he that. Was, like a farmer. I don't know. I mean, maybe he just wanted to go to the, you know, farmer's market and sell his tomatoes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what he wanted to do. <laughs> absolutely not the case, as we've come to find. But he wanted that rotten tomato meter. He did. Oh, Ooh. he was way before his time on that. <laughs> but yeah, so we start this scene and it's essentially Freddie kind of putting together his glove. And then it immediately goes into actually our first main character that we find in this film, which is Tina. And she is one of the teenagers in the the film and I feel like it's pretty clear that she's having a dream. She is running and it, you know, a very famous, I feel like, dream sequence that a lot of movies even emulate to this day where it's like things aren't making sense. They're walking into rooms that lead to other rooms that don't make any sense at 
all just like dreams sort of make zero sense. And she's running down a hall and you kind of hear someone like whispering her name. And weirdly enough, you actually also hear the sound of sheep like baaing in the back. Mm -hmm. And that actually I read about was an ode to a Bible verse about like an innocent child. It's it's part of the whole like lambs being led to slaughter thing again, like sort of innocence being led to danger. So very interesting. Oh, shit. Very interesting. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I should get that tattooed on my body. Interesting. I think we should. I think we should. <laughs> and Tina in the dream, she's in her nightgown. She's barefoot. Again, kind of an indication that she's dreaming. And she gets led down to what looks like some sort of a basement or a boiler room, so to speak. Something interesting. <laughs> wow, I really tried not to do that. And I did I'm anyways. looking something up right now. Thesaurus. <laughs> A Freddy fact is fact. they filmed all the boiler room scenes at a LA gel that's <laughs> at an LA gel. I don't know why that was so funny to me. What? I'm sorry, go ahead. You guys, we're off the rails today. We really are. Get okay. it like a jail cell rail. <laughs> Anyways, it was filmed at a jail. <laughs> That, Sorry. that was then right after filming, they condemned it because everybody on the set got uh, exposed to asbestos. And it's supposed to be the school boiler room. What school has a boiler has room? A, we're also from California, so way in. But that's a huge ass boiler room in a school. I wonder if inside schools have boiler rooms. Just like they have inside lockers? Yeah. Like inside schools, like in Texas, like all the schools are inside. That'd be so cute, right? To to, to like have, have a boiler room? No. <laughs> <laughs> to have an inside? I know. To have an inside school. Uh, Ali and I actually have a, a friend in Texas who I would argue with about inside schools versus outside oh, schools. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> And we just, I can't grasp it. I just can't. We also don't have that weather except for this past weekend. That is true. Yeah. Boiler room or not, that's a big ass boiler room. And that's really shitty that they were exposed to asbestos. In real life, yes. In real life, Yes. <laughs> So then our next scene is Tina has woken up from her dream. She is kind of freaked out because she has some rips in her dress and she's like kind of like confused as to like where they came from. And her mom walks into her room and is like, oh, honey, you know, you were screaming. And she's like, sorry, mom, I was just having, you know, a nightmare. And it's such a weird scene, too, because her mom walks in and then her obvious like lover kind of comes up next to her and is like, are you coming back into the sack, baby? <laughs> and she's like, one second. And it's just like <laughs> so weird. It's just like I just felt like that really wasn't needed in the scene, but it's fine. <laughs> I I will also say this might have been like the latchkey kid era. Mm -hmm. There wasn't as much parental guidance or, or like supervision. Supervision. That's yeah. the word. Mm -hmm. Wow. Brains. <laughs> yeah. So. Words. Words. Words are hard. Obviously. It's yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> then we get to a point where Tina is now getting ready for school the next day. And she sees some kids right outside that are singing a nursery rhyme. And they are jumping rope like right right outside of her house. And a fascinating fact wow. here is they're singing a nursery rhyme that is all about Freddy Krueger. And it's based on the one, two, doo -doo -doo -doo, three, four, better shut the door, you know. 
five, six, you know, that nursery rhyme. And it's all about Freddie. So all of the lyrics have been changed. And the fascinating fact about this is that Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy in this film, her boyfriend is actually the one that came up with this nursery and then it stuck and they used it in the film. Cute. Very funny. And it's fantastic. And it's used throughout several of the Freddie films. So I mean, it stuck with me when I was a kid. So, so good for so, her boyfriend. So very thought provoking. Nor- striking. Uh, oh, keep going. Compelling. Okay. <laughs> Amusing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. No. <laughs> We're trying to get away from that one. No, I'm going to keep going with it. <laughs> that was definitely very cool to learn about. And then we see Tina. We finally get introduced to Nancy and then Glenn. And they're all walking to school together. And Tina is kind of telling Nancy how she had a nightmare. And she's been having these nightmares about, you know, a strange man. And she's really freaked out about it. And Nancy kind of makes a small side comment that she's also been having some weird dreams. But she doesn't talk about specific what she's seeing. And so they all go to school or all kind of going along their own way. And then we also get introduced at the same time as they're walking to school to another main character who is Rod. And it's not very clear if he's Tina's boyfriend or just someone that's like trying to hook up with Tina the entire time. But he's this bad boy. I don't even think he's in high school. And he really likes Tina. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I straight up thought that was her boyfriend, but I could be very wrong. I feel like they're just very like vague of how they talk to each other. I don't know. It's just very weird. I also it's not the same dynamic. To make a point of saying we see Johnny Depp's Glenn's car and it's super nice. It's like a super nice. It's like beautiful a red convertible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Very interesting. Where'd you get that? Very <laughs> Very Are your parents captivating. Rich or do you captivating? I don't know. Striking? Delightful. <laughs> Delightful. Bitching. Here we go. Bitching. Bitching. Yes. Bitching oh, car. I like that yes. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was just like, you live in Ohio and you have a convertible that that's like that bitching and is in still in really good condition. But that's just me being a very car driven person. I also have a theory later in the film because his parents are out on the porch drinking at literally 1145 at night that oh, they sorry. are doing something behind the scenes. <gasps> drug dealers. I think that they're drug lords. Maybe this they is work a with- very far stretched theory, but. I do think that they're drug lords. But maybe they also work with Nancy's mom. Probably. Because she's also drinking it. All hours of the the day. So anyway, so then Tina asks Glenn and Nancy if they can come over later that night after school is over and stay the night with her because literally her nightmare freaked her out so badly that she's a little bit scared and she knows that her mom is actually not going to be home that night because she's probably going to be at her weird boyfriend's house and (laughs) she wants them to stay over so that they can all just kind of hang out and make sure that everything is okay if she does have a nightmare. Then we fast forward later to them at Tina's house, and it's just the three of them. It's just Tina, Nancy, and Glenn. Girls are painting their toes on the couch. There's some popcorn. Glenn's kind of messing around with the TV and the radio. And this is when we have them all talking about what they've been seeing in their nightmares. And Nancy and Tina specifically talk about what Tina has been seeing. And she describes a man with a dirty red and green sweater. Nancy and Tina are comparing their different dreams, and they find out that they are both seeing the same person, which really freaks them out. It'd freak you out, wouldn't it? What if I said, hey, I have this dream about this person and you had the same dream? 
I would be so freaked out. Like that's just something that doesn't happen. So then as they are comparing dreams, you know, they don't get very far in the conversation because they hear something crash outside. And naturally they ask the man of the house, Glenn, to go and check out what was going on outside. And as he goes outside, they find out that Rod has now crashed their party. And Rod is like, oh, Tina, you didn't tell me that your mom wasn't home tonight, blah, blah, blah. And so they invite Rod in and then, you know, they're all going to bed. We have Tina and Rod that say that they're going to go up to Tina's mom's room and that Glenn and Nancy had the whole rest of the house to themselves. And (laughs) I know it's kind of weird. So Tina and Rod go up to the mom's room and, you know, they're having their old fun time. And Glenn and Nancy end up staying in Tina's room. And it's very interesting because... Is it interesting, Emma? Oh, God. Oh, (laughs) man. It's very... Stimulating. No, it is very fascinating because in the very, very beginning, when we see Tina have her first nightmare, there is a crucifix that is hanging right above her bed. And it's definitely kind of a main point in the scene. And they definitely make up a point to have focus on that crucifix as it does come into play a little bit later in the movie several times. And the crucifix also has a focus when they see Nancy and Glenn sleeping in Tina's room as well. And it has a point in the song, five, six, grab your crucifix. Exactly. And then so, you know, Tina and Rod are having a good old time and <laughs> disrupting Glenn. And he's kind of annoyed that he can't sleep. He he says, mortality sucks. Right? Doesn't that, isn't that what he says? Morality. Like, oh, morality. Sorry. Mortality <laughs> sucks. Okay. So as Tina and Rod are wrapping up, having a good time, what does that mean, Allie? Mm, they're fucking. <laughs> If that's not already clear. They they kind of start to talk about the nightmare that Tina had. And Rod actually makes kind of a side comment that he also had a nightmare. And Tina starts to question him about it. And he gets a little bit defensive, like, oh, you don't think guys can have nightmares too? And she tries to ask him, you know, specifically, like, what were you seeing in your nightmares? And he doesn't really give her a straight answer, which is probably a little bit annoying. But all things aside, they decide to drop it. And then we start to hear some pebbles hitting the window. And Tina kind of wakes up and she goes over to the window trying to see what's outside. Can't really find anything. So she ends up going downstairs and she goes into her front yard and then leads out a door, I believe, in her front yard to an alleyway. And this is actually a very pivotal scene because this is the first time that we really see Freddy's full body. And there's a couple of funny moments here because he is opposite her in a very dark alleyway when we first see the silhouette of his body and he has these outstretched arms that look pretty insane yeah i mean maybe in it's comical yeah it's maybe in 1984 it was a little scarier but in 2000 whatever year it is 23 it's pretty funny and it looks like kind of like a clown almost like a johnny depp jack sparrow run I have it written in my notes, all caps, ha ha ha, Freddy running down the alleyway. <laughs> I think a Johnny Depp, Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack yeah. Sparrow is the perfect comparison. And he's got these outstretched arms. It's yeah. so weird. And I actually read that the way that they did the outstretched arms was they had a man. It was actually, it was a body double. They had him have a fishing pole on either arm with puppet hands on the ends. And that's how they got that 
elongated look. Why is that sad to me? I know it's very sad. <laughs> and so Freddie, you know, naturally chases Tina down. She ends up back in her front yard and she's trying to get back into her house and she starts actually screaming everyone's name. She's screaming Tina's name, Glenn's name, Rod's name. And she gets tackled by Freddie and he is all of a sudden on top of her. And then immediately her and Freddie kind of fighting together, they are transferred to under the covers of the bed that Rod is still in. And Rod is freaking out. Like all of a sudden there's a bunch of commotion under the covers. He's like not sure what's going on. And he peels the covers off. And from Tina's perspective, they make it very clear that Freddie is fighting her. But from Rod's perspective, he can't see Mm -hmm. anything. He sees essentially something invisible attacking Tina. Yeah. Something not interesting, but it is interesting, but cool (laughs) about this scene is how they filmed it. But then we see her, first of all, she is laying on the bed and she gets an invisible three slash marks on her chest and invisible meaning you don't see what is giving her the slash marks. So her like nightgown opens up. You don't see her boobs fully, but you definitely see like the, her bare chest. Some cleave. A little bit of cleave and then the cleave is slashed. And then all of a sudden she is bleeding everywhere and she is now levitating above the bed and spinning around. And actually one of the scenes that made the producer laugh louder than I think I've heard him laugh ever is as she's spinning around and levitating she actually hits Rod in the head and he falls against the wall and to Ali's earlier point this may have been scary back then but now it's a little bit comical And then in this scene, she actually starts not only levitating, but then being sort of dragged up and down the walls and then onto the ceiling. And this is actually where we get the first iteration of a rotating room scene. So the way that they shot this is by having all the furniture and everything kind of put in place in this room so that it wouldn't fall. And only the actors would be the ones that are able to kind of rotate as this room is physically being rotated by people. It is not a mechanical thing. It is being rotated by a crew on the outside that has one camera still as everything is kind of moving. So very, very cool how it was shot. And it's definitely going to come into play a little bit later in the film as well. Yeah. And poor Tina or Amanda is her real name. She Amanda Weiss. Yeah. She um, endured that shot that they were doing, but she she killed it. No pun intended. Oh, God. But also something about the scene. So she's flying around the room, but in real life, the room is just rotating and she's acting within that set. Yeah. But something that got me, and I don't know why I catch these weird little things that mean nothing, but <laughs> during this entire scene, Rod, her boyfriend or lover boy. Oh, another lover boy. Oh, I love her. He's like helpless. He's not doing anything. He's so just, helpless. He's just basically pointing and screaming, Tina, Tina. And I'm like, okay, do something, man. He has no clue what to do. I mean, he's probably in some sort of shock, honestly. I, duh. I mean, I'm sure I would absolutely be like, Kevin. But would you not Kevin. like at least try to grab them maybe like to try to take them away from whatever you force know, it is? I hope like, we never have to experience anything like that I too. So too. Like, I would grab that. if Cowboy was floating in the air like that, I'd be <laughs> grabbing him, you know? <laughs> If you were floating the air, I'd probably be like, bye. <laughs> okay, rude. <laughs> but I understand the risk. Yes. It is risky. Yeah. <laughs> and so. But I love you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And at this exact same time, actually, too, Nancy and Glenn start to sort of wake up because they're hearing some commotion happening from the other room. And actually, right above Nancy's head, there's this really cool stretch effect scene that we get to see where right above her, she sort of has a slant 
slanted wall ceiling right above the bed that she's sleeping in, Tina's bed. And there is something that kind of comes through the wall, but it's sort of like underneath a layer of paint or underneath the wall. I'm probably really explaining it very poorly right now, but they actually did that scene by cutting a hole in the actual wall and placing spandex over it so that it was easy to stretch. And it looks like a man reaching out from the wall's material to come and try to grab her. So nothing actually happens there, but it is just definitely a a cool effect. It's a pretty iconic scene, just especially because... Thinking about the 1984 plus the very low budget they had, they (laughs) really did a lot of... They did a lot of really cool practical effects, for sure. And so then Nancy and Glenn run into the room where all of the commotion is happening. And I mean, they are just dumbstruck. They are totally shocked by what they see. They see a completely bloody room, blood everywhere, the walls, on the ceiling, all over the ground, the bedding. And poor Tina is, you know, on the floor bleeding out and Rod is just kind of freaked out in a corner. And then we immediately go to the police and we're at the station and we actually find out that the lieutenant police officer is Nancy's dad. Zaddy. Is is he? To me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say my type, but you know what? I respect everyone's personal attraction. So (laughs) I respect that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of interesting too. Oh God. Interesting. I hate myself. (laughs) It, It is, it is interesting though, because you know, you, you see this lieutenant and you don't immediately know that it's Nancy's dad. And he's sort of saying like, you know, how could she get involved with this guy? How was she involved with all of it? And everyone can assume that they're talking about Tina, but he says, no, her. And then all of a sudden walks into his office and Nancy is there, who is his daughter. And he's sort of questioning her like, honey, why were you there? Why were you at this house? Why were you hanging out with these kids? Why are you sort of now involved in this murder? Then she sort of tries to explain to them that the reasoning that she and Glenn were even there in the first place is simply because Tina was so freaked out about her nightmare. And she tries to tell them what the nightmare was about and why she was so freaked out. But it kind of seems like nobody's listening, including her parents. Classic. Oh, kind of like Scream. No one listens to the final girl ever. 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 Next, as... You know, Nancy is walking to school the next day, which is kind of crazy to me because if you had died, Ali, I would not be going to school the next day. Well, I appreciate Espe- that. And especially, honestly, it could have been anyone, even if it wasn't one of my best friends. It could have been anyone. If I had seen that traumatic, bloody room and just that whole crime scene, I would have been like, I think I'm going to stay home today. I think that's a reasonable <laughs> yeah thought process. And what I put in my notes is I can't believe how cavalier or nonchalant everybody is after yes. Tina's death. I'm like, yes, um, it's so graphic. It's so graphic. And you guys all saw it. Mm-hmm. And something that I noted is Nancy's like, quote unquote, I'll sleep in study hall, which a I'm like, well, don't do that. <laughs> a obviously just and don't do that. And then B it kind of shows how bullshit study hall is. <laughs> totally, totally. That you know that she's like, I could, I could get. Down and then there. her mom, who I Loki love, is she's a hot mess. She's like drinking her vodka, being like, okay. She's so nonchalant about drinking like a full bottle in front of yeah. her daughter. 
to be fair, Nancy like does notice that, and she's like, she Stop. knows, she knows, she knows. But yeah. everybody, the nonchalantness of the day after Tina's death, yeah, I'm like, totally. what are you? I would be in mourning for, I would be singing My Chemical Romance in your honor for two years, doing nothing else except for doing that. You should be doing that right now. I should be doing that all right. uh, all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Semi cherry drive, like what's up, Helena? Uh, well, Hel- duh. Helena, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but I also want to point out one other thing that I forgot to mention too is that Rod actually fled from the scene before the cops came. So he was never actually like talked to by them or questioned. So poor guy, it immediately gets put on him because he was the one that was in the room with her when she died. You know, she went in there alive and then she didn't come out. So we and we do see him shortly thereafter, like the next day, he's wearing a leather jacket, no shirt, jeans, no shoes, no shoes. And I wrote down, okay, well, why is he a greaser with no shirt or shoes? And then I remembered, oh, it was post coital. So very, he, he, yeah. had to, he, he had to run for his life. He did not have a lot of clothing no. to put back on. No. Yeah. And actually, Allie, great segue into the next scene that I wanted to talk about, which is as Nancy is walking herself to school, she has insisted to her mom that she still wants to go to school. And she said, like, if she didn't go to school, she would be basically sitting in her room all day going crazy. She notices that a guy is kind of following her. And she's like, oh, this is kind of weird. And then she gets immediately pulled into a bush right next to her by Rod. And and that's actually when we see him and he's in the leather jacket, jeans, no shirt, no shoes. And it's a setup that her dad did was they employed someone to follow her because they knew that Rod would probably try to reach out to her at some point And he... He actually did. And they are able to catch him, unfortunately, and they bring him down to the station. And right here in this part of the film, you sort of start to get that this is going to feel like it's really all going to be pinned on Rod. And it sucks because there's always like the scapegoat person and no one's going to believe what actually was happening to the people. So at this point in the film, you're like, oh, poor guy's like going to start going down for this. So in this scene, we have Rod, and this is actually where he gets caught by the police, and he unfortunately is going to be pinned, you know, for this murder of Tina, and it's really sad because, I don't know, you just sort of, in this point in the film, are like, ah, crap, this guy's going to get pinned for what Freddy is doing to people. Maybe it's, spoiler alert, maybe it's Wes Craven's, like, boyfriend did it kind of thing. Because in this film, boyfriend didn't do it, but in Scream... Billy Loomis did do it. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. And it also has a tie to just kind of going back to Lieutenant Thompson, which is Nancy's Mm -hmm. dad. And he has set up this whole trap basically to find Rod. And Nancy's just super upset and disappointed in the whole thing. She actually makes it to school. And she's in class and just trying to stay awake. She hasn't been sleeping well, obviously, with not only the nightmares that she's been having. But now Tina, one of her best friends, has been brutally murdered. So she's just trying to figure that whole thing out and Nancy ends up dozing off in class and she leaves the classroom in her dream or nightmare however you would like to interpret to classify that and she runs into a girl in the hallway and kind of knocks her down and it's a brown haired gal in kind of a side ponytail but she is wearing a sweater very similar to Freddie's and she has a little bit of a bloody nose and she said hey where's your hall pass and (laughs) I I think I, I wrote it in my notes she's like screw your hall pass (laughs) and nancy then ends up actually seeing tina's body in a body bag 
calling out for her essentially. And then it kind of pans to down the hall and we see Tina's body in the body bag being dragged down the hall and kind of out of the scene. And Nancy, you know, feels compelled to sort of follow this bloody trail that the body bag is leaving. And that is where Nancy actually gets led down into the boiler room, so to speak. And she gets into the boiler room, you know, as she has followed this kind of trail of blood and she's trying to find Tina. She's like kind of calling out for Tina this entire time. And then she actually sees Freddie. And this is actually the first time in the film that we have a very clear view of Freddie before when he attacked Tina. There was a lot of fighting going on and there was a lot happening in those scenes. And this is like very clear. We see him clear as day. He has this very severely burnt man and he has this glove that he wears that is made of knives for each finger. And he's wearing kind of a fedora hat and a green and red striped sweater. So like Christmassy. I was literally going to say like, that's something I'd probably wear during the <laughs> Christmas season. <laughs> but it's definitely very iconic. I mean, even to this day, like if anyone is wearing that kind of a sweater, I feel like many people may be reminded of Freddy Krueger. Yeah, it's definitely synonymous with Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And she actually straight up asks him, she is like, who are you? Like, who is this man? Who are you? Why are you tormenting me? And I believe that he does actually say his name. Like, he's like, it's Freddy. And she actually has her first moment of real smart kind of final girl tactics here where he he's closing in on her in a corner in the boiler room in, you know, sort of a random area. And she takes her arm and she puts her arm against a burning hot pipe and it actually wakes her up in her dream and she freaks out and is screaming in class and the teacher who who is played by Lynn Shay. Yep, Lynn Shay. Lynn Shay, who also plays Elise in Insidious and Iconic. several other roles like we mentioned before. She's like, are you okay, honey? Like, we'll call your mom, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, it's fine. I'll just walk home. And the last thing that Lynn says in this scene is she goes, well, you'll need a hall pass. And so that's kind of a funny tie back to like the whole thing. Like, why? <laughs> also, just a quick question. Do you ever try to wake yourself up out of dreams? I, I definitely have had several times where I know that I'm dreaming and it can be really scary and kind of freaking me out. And I try in the dream to just remind myself it's a dream. So I don't, it's not necessarily like waking myself up. It's more just like, hey, this is a dream. Like, don't freak out. It's all good. But I lately, I don't know what's going on, but I can like remind myself it's a dream and trying to just wake myself up. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do, I'm not always successful in actually waking myself up, but I'm also, I'm like successful a lot of times in just telling myself, like, just write it out. It's a dream. Yeah. Like, you know, don't let it freak you out or scare you or like anything like that. Well, but. also leads to bad sleep because oh, I can totally. be like, okay, wake up, Allie. And then I don't. Mm -hmm. And then I think I'm awake. For sure. Try again. Ooh, which is scary. Yeah. No, oh my gosh. <laughs> the lucid dreams I've had. Yeah. Let's not unpack that, but it's crazy. Oh Anyways, gosh, con scary. let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> so then now we kind of get more into the middle of the film here, which Nancy is really starting to catch on to some of these things that are happening in the nightmares and the ties to Tina, to Tina's death, and how everything is being pinned on Rod. So she actually in this next scene tries to get over to the police station and she wants to talk to Rod. She's like, I need to talk to that guy. I need to know exactly what happened in the room when he was there with Tina. Like, make it make sense, essentially, is what she's trying to do. So she goes 
goes and visits Rod, actually one of her dad's like coworkers at the police station lets her go down there, which is very interesting. But again, probably a very small town. So easy to do these type of things. And she starts to question Rod, you know, tell me everything that you saw. Tell me what you heard, this and that. And basically says like, like there was no one there that was like attacking Tina. And it was really weird to see all of these things happening to her, but he couldn't see an actual person. But during this conversation, it's very intriguing (laughs) (laughs) because Rod starts to describe Freddie, but in his own dreams. And that's where Nancy starts to make this connection of Rod has seen this guy now, I have seen this guy, and Tina has seen this guy. Could this all be related? The next scene that we get after this is Nancy now back at home, and she is in the bathtub. And I love this scene. It is shot from such a cool perspective. And it's really freaky. I feel like even when you're a kid and you have suds in the water and you're imagining like sharks under there or things. It's just, it's, I still think about that kind of thing if I'm in the tub. Yeah. Totally. And you see Nancy and she's kind of trying not to fall asleep, but just trying to have a relaxing bath. You know, she's been through a lot the last couple of days, probably the last like 36 hours. Uh, May I pose this question? If I were trying to avoid sleeping because there's a nightmare serial killer after me, would the first instinct be, let's take a bath? No, I wouldn't say so. (laughs) (laughs) She also could have just been experiencing a great amount of anxiety and just trying to do anything to sort of just calm her nervous system down. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. That just from a personal standpoint, I suffer from anxiety and I feel like that's something I would probably try to do to try to come down and make myself be like, okay, like this crazy shit is not actually happening, you know? Same, (laughs) but like it is. But like it is. It's actually happening. So accept it. Yeah. (laughs) Or like- or if I back. Yeah. Or do, yeah. But this really cool scene where she is in the bath and her mom even says actually outside the door, she's like, you know, be careful in there, Nancy. Like lots of people die every year from falling asleep in the bath. And she's like, mom, I'm fine, blah, blah, blah. And she starts to doze off in the bath a little bit. And we see this scene of going to sound weird, but like her legs are a little bit spread, but obviously you don't see anything, but you do see her knees kind of sticking out of the water and you see Freddie's hand with his knife fingers kind of sticking out and about to kind of grab her. And that's, I think, when her mom knocks on the door to kind of check on her. And so it goes away immediately. But then Freddie starts to actually drag her down into the bath water and we see this really cool third person perspective scene of her drowning essentially in water and being pulled down and we actually read a very cool fact about this that this scene was filmed with a water tank slash kind of small pool and they had some black fabric all around it so it's sort of made you feel like it her bathtub was endless and that freddie was just kind of like pulling her down into the water to me, that is terrifying. Terrifying. And she actually starts screaming and calling for her mom's help. And at this point, too, it's it's not a dream. Like, her mom can hear her screaming for help. And her mom is trying to get into the door, is freaking out, and even uses it looks like a coat hanger to try to unlock the door to get to her. And then Nancy is able to actually escape. She gets out of the tub and she basically tells her mom like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I slipped in the tub or something like that. I just don't understand why she's so nonchalant every time. Like ask for help. It's very weird to me at that scene specifically that she's like calling her mom's name in desperate, in absolute desperation. And then she's just like, never mind. I I got this. Yeah. (laughs) So then 
After that happens, we get to a very engaging scene. (laughs) I'm trying to use different words here. Can you tell? (laughs) And in this scene, Nancy is sort of like, quote unquote, getting ready for bed, but she, you know, is still trying to stay awake. And Glenn, her boyfriend, actually sneaks up. What is that called? It's kind of trellis. Like the trellis. Oh my God. Thank you. I You're was like, what welcome. is that word? Yes. He sneaks up the trellis on the side of her house to get to her window. And it's very familiar to maybe some of us. Or it, actually, this kind of predates it does. another it's, movie. It does. It predates it very much so. Wes Craven obviously was involved in Nightmare on Elm Street. And he also was involved with Scream. And it's very reminiscent of Billy Loomis going up to see Sidney Prescott up into her room. Literally, the producer agreed. And he was like, that was exactly what I thought of first is when we saw that scene. It's, wow, there's a lot of parallels. Not only the scene, but like the music and a, a lot of other plot points. Give me, give me a synonym. Alluring. It's alluring to see. Compelling. It's compelling. Curious. And curious. Exotic. I wouldn't say exotic, <laughs> but long story short, there are a lot of parallels between- Thought-provoking. thought provo- It provokes my thoughts. <laughs> it does. But to see those parallels between this film and the Scream franchise, just especially with that trellis scaling from the boyfriend going up to the girlfriend's room. So- so predictable. Oh. Trellis scaling. I wish the producer had a trellis to scale to my window. I've never scaled a trellis. I've never scaled. I've always lived on the first level of everything. What did you say? That I know. That's what I'm saying. He's like, you live on the first floor. Yeah, I know. I just climb into the little tiny trellis outside my I floor wanna, window. I want to take <laughs> a poll. That's all I ask. Is that so much to ask for? <laughs> I want to take a poll of who's actually scaled a trellis. Oh my god, that's a great poll. Because who the fuck actually does that? If you've scaled a trellis, please let us know. And I want to know the entire story. Yeah, same. And we will talk about it on this podcast. Honestly, we will feature you slash maybe have you on. <laughs> that that's kind of been my dream since I was a little kid. But and you have if you happen to also have nightmares about a burned man, let us know. <laughs> or a witch named Cookie and her sister oh. named assistant. Like, let or me know. Werewolves. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Anyways, so there's a lot of parallels between this film and Scream via Wes Craven. Yeah, I agree. So then as Glenn is in her room, Nancy asks him essentially, hey, I have an idea. I want you to stay here in my room and sort of watch over like my body, so to speak. But I'm going to go and fall asleep and go into like, you know, nightmare land. And I am going to let you know when it's time to wake me up. And she's like, I need you to stand guard. So Nancy, quote unquote, Nancy's logic is wake me up when I struggle. Like, so basically, if she looks like she's struggling in her sleep, wake her up. Mm -hmm. To this point, and actually, Ali and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but a lot of these sleep scenes do get a little bit redundant. They kind of start all the same way of them either walking down a weird hallway, ending up in like some sort of a boiler room, or, you know, they're they're in like an alleyway in their own town, but just like at night. And so Nancy does fall asleep. She makes it, you know, into walking down the street. And she essentially actually walks herself to the precinct and she sees Rod through the window of his jail cell and she sees that he's asleep and she sees Freddie enter his cell and she's trying to get Rod's attention like Rod wake up wake up blah 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 and Freddie sees her but still is like proceeding and he's like I'm gonna get Rod and then Rod actually does kind of jerk himself awake for a moment 
She actually also sees Tina again in her body bag. And now Nancy is like back in her backyard and she sees like bugs and I think snakes like crawling on Tina's feet, which I did read that the actress Amanda Weiss was very freaked out about the prospect of having little creatures crawling all they over her feet. They don't even show her face. They could have had a body double. I know. <laughs> also, I love me a snake, but that scene was gross and those snakes were gross. Ugh, I just got the chills because I actually don't love me a snake and I, I apologize to all snakes. It's I'm a Slytherin. Yeah, she actually is. So there's that. And then she starts fighting with Freddie again in her dream. So Nancy is fighting with Freddie and it gets to the point where she is flailing around on her bed with Freddie. And it's kind of funny to me, too, because they they sort of are like wrestling and they <laughs> they get to the ground and they like kind of hit Glenn <laughs> like in her dream, quote unquote. But it's kind of funny, like because they they do like run into Glenn's legs as he's sitting next to your next to her bed, supposed to be keeping watch. And then actually boys are useless. Boys suck. Boys Sorry, are producer. so useless. Sorry, producer, who literally edits our entire podcast yes, and is not, not useless. useless oh, but. I'm sorry. Don't. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and then her alarm clock goes off. And thank God it wakes her up and Glenn. And so they both wake up and they are able to sort of like, you know, holy shit. Okay. Like I was just getting attacked by Freddie. And then she kind of like gets mad at him and is like, Glenn, you asshole. Like you were supposed to wake me up. You had like one job to do. Then that scene ends and it's immediately them not in their PJs anymore, but it's still middle of the night. And Nancy is like, we need to go and get to Rod because he is being attacked by Freddie slash could already be dead. Simultaneously, as she's trying to get to Rod, we actually see in the scene Rod's cell and he has his blanket start to get twisted. Twisted and go around his neck a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of you can already guess what is about to happen here if you haven't seen the film, but it gets to a point where he gets dragged off of the bed and he starts screaming out for help, but it's obviously very hard. And at the same moment, oh, sorry. Here's my question is, if he's actually screaming in real life for help, then why he's awake? You would think he's awake, but- if you'll notice, a lot of the times when they're having nightmares, they are screaming out in their nightmare state. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that is a good question. Yeah. Okay. So simultaneously, as Nancy has convinced the late night worker slash also her father to go down and check on Rod because she's really worried about it, they see that he has hung himself, quote unquote, even though that is not what happened. And we saw as the viewer, Freddie twist the blanket and get it around Rod's neck. Okay. So then unfortunately, after Rod is uh, found in the jail cell, they do have a funeral service for him and it's very sad. And it's only a few people, including Nancy, her dad, her mom, and Glenn, his parents. And we do get a small glimpse of, I believe, Rod's parents, at least, or it's implied. Nancy actually tries to tell her mom and her dad after the funeral as they're getting into the car about Freddie. And she's like, you know, it wasn't Rod that did all of this. He's not the one that murdered Tina. And like, please believe me, it's this man, Freddie. And I could tell you about him. And immediately we get some weird energy from the mom and the dad at the mention of Freddie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, yes, it's Im- it's implied that we are going to get some more context clues yeah. about like why this is happening to these teenage kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And there's also some tension between the mom and the dad because they are not together and they sort of throughout the film make like little stabs at each other. And you can also assume, too, that Nancy is a little closer to her father than her mother for several reasons. But she lives with her mom, it seems like she calls her mom mother or she refers to her, I believe, by her name, which is Marge. And for her father, she calls him daddy. Daddy, So there's sort of an inkling there that she is a lot closer to her father than her mother. But it's very interesting that she lives with her mom. Yeah, the parental dynamics are very context clues, but it's not hard to pick up on those. Totally agree. And in this conversation where they are getting back into the car, Nancy and her mom, Marge, her dad is coming to talk with them. And again, this is where Nancy is sort of trying to tell him about Freddie. Another parallel, if you've seen the Scream series, is the relationship between Sydney, a only child? Most likely. I think that can be implied. Yeah. Is Nancy an only child? Seems like it. Okay. But so it's interesting. Wow. It's. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We should have like a count, like a meter. Like I owe a dollar in a jar every time I say interesting. Honestly, our our buddy Todd is probably counting all the times we say um and the times we say interesting. I'll take it. (laughs) We need need some, you know, uh, accountability. Todd and Tori are counting all of these things. I'd love some accountability. (laughs) But to see the parallels with that too is Sydney was an perceivably only child and so is Nancy and better relationships with their fathers. Yes. And distant relationships with their mothers. So I'm like, What's Craven? What's going on? What's happening with these girls? Tell me. Wish he could. (laughs) 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 R.I.P. Sad. (laughs) But so in this conversation that she's kind of having with her parents, she's like trying to tell them, blah, blah, blah. Her mom is like, I'm going to do something about it. And she ends up taking... Nancy to a sleep institute. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I want to go to a sleep institute myself because Mm, why I I just feel like I don't get good enough sleep and I don't know exactly why. Anxiety. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) But I just think it'd be like interesting to know, like, or do a sleep study of some sort. But anyways, she goes in and she's initially a little skeptical, but she does agree to kind of starting to do some tests for her mom's sake. I think it's a little a little silly here because they attach some things to her head and they're going to be monitoring some of the dreams that she's having and they have, you know, their own specific scale of how they determine if she's having kind of like a pleasant dream or if it's going more into a nightmare scale. And I think it's kind of funny because the doctor and her mom, Marge, are watching her in a separate room and Marge is just lighting up some cigarettes like it is just no problem. 80s man. And she is starting to dream. And initially, the doctor is not concerned. He's like, he mentioned something in their scale of their testing. So she mentions dreams. And she's kind of asking the doctor, you know, what is a dream? And it's very fascinating because he says dreams are essentially incredible body hocus pocus, which hocus pocus is one of Ali and I's favorite movies. I love that for us. (laughs) 
And he has a scale that he's looking at where he mentions that someone that's dreaming, if they're charting at like a three, that that's pretty standard, like a three, four, five even is pretty standard. But as you get into the sixes and aboves, it kind of indicates that you are having a nightmare. And Nancy is dreaming at this time and it is going completely off the charts. And she is getting 20s and 30s as the, as a reading on this, you know, so so-called scale that the doctor has and she wakes up from this nightmare that she has and her mom and the doctor rush into the room and they're like Nancy are you okay blah 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 and Nancy pulls out from underneath the covers the hat Freddie's hat and there's something physical that happens to Nancy after this oh, one dream yes. and it's actually kind of silly because when she's in her room with Glenn and Glenn is supposed to be kind of standing on guard while she's having a nightmare, she looks at herself in the mirror at one point and she goes, God, I look 20. Oh, wow. That's depressing. It's depressing, but also hilarious because I read a Freddie fact about that and she actually is 20 in this film. So even she's though she's supposed, to, oh she's supposed to be playing a high school gal, it's kind of silly that she says, oh my God, I look 20. Something that is actually a thing is when you experience trauma or any kind of weird situation, you can get white or gray streaks in your hair. And that's what Nancy experiences after this in the hospital. So we start to see the white come into Nancy's hair, indicating that trauma, which I also love the white hair look. So don't hate it. It's kind of a vibe. It gives me like rogue vibes from X-Men. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of like. So I like it too. I'm kind of into that. Me too. But yeah, she has this like gray streak in her hair now. And even her mom sort of makes a comment like, oh my God, look at her hair. Definitely a stressful situation, which I want to make another film parallel because Ooh. if we remember in Poltergeist, oh, yes. the mom's hair. Yep. Gets a little bit of a gray streak after she goes through everything yep. that they went through in that film. Reference to episode one, if you haven't already listened. Please go <laughs> listen and like and subscribe or whatever everybody says. <laughs> and rate. Give us a five-star Yeah, do rating. that too. But if you hate us, don't rate us. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Going back to her grabbing Freddie's hat from In the Dream, she tells her mom, her mom's like, where did you get that hat? And she says, I literally grabbed it off of his head. You could tell she started kind of already realizing like, there may be things that I can pull into this real world, like from my dream with him. And, you know, she's starting to question a lot of things. She's she's definitely starting to question like how much her mom might know about some things. Her and her mom get home from the sleep institute and her mom is on the phone, I believe, with her dad or, you know, so it's implied. And she kind of hears them talking about Nancy and her, you know, finding the hat. And she's and the mom's like, you know, I literally have the, the hat physically right in front of me. Like, I don't know how this happened. And so her mom is just insisting he's dead. There's there's no reason for you to be upset about it. Like, just trust me. But like, he's dead and he like can't hurt you. And we also see Nancy's mom starting to spiral a little bit too at this point. And we've already seen her consuming alcohol on a pretty regular schedule while living with her daughter. But we, we see her hiding an entire bottle also behind her back after they've gotten home from the sleep institute. In my notes, I put... She's kind of a vibe. The mom. (laughs) In a bad way, yes. 
And I put, she's hot and not bothered. That is true. And yeah. she's problematic, but yeah, aren't we all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very true. So after she kind of has this moment with her mom where she definitely is starting to feel like her mom knows more, but still hasn't quite told her what's going on with this whole connection. Like, how does Freddie make sense into all of this and all of the nightmares that she has? Then we see actually the scene where Glenn and Nancy are walking along the canals of Venice Beach in LA. But again, it's supposed to be like Springwood, Ohio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they're talking about the dreams again that she's been having. She starts to ask Glenn kind of, you know, about some of his dreams and they start to have like this, this discussion. And Glenn asks if Nancy has ever heard of the Cambodian lore that Ali mentioned sort of in the beginning of our episode and about how a lot of these people were seeing things in their dreams and doing this and that. But it's a little bit different in the film. In the film, they talk about having dream skills and how to kind of turn your back on things in the dream in order to take like energy away from it. So if you encounter something like a monster in your dream, you're supposed to just like kind of turn your back to it and then it takes all energy away. She's also reading a book, which is really funny. And the book is all about booby traps. And so Glenn kind of questions her about that. He's like, wait, what are you reading? And he asks her, and I I think it's really funny. I wrote down the quote. She says, well, I'm into survival. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make some connections a little bit later in the film. So I'm not going to mention it now, but it's just kind of funny that she has a book literally all about booby traps and like devices to catch people (laughs) or to stop them from doing something. So after she has her little walk with Glenn, Nancy comes home and she sees that every window and door in her home has bars on it now. And she says, oh, mother. And she's really pissed about it. So goes inside and immediately tries to question her mom. And she actually comes home to like a weird, like, I don't know, her mom looks kind of scary to me in this part. Her mom has definitely been drinking and her mom is smoking a cigarette and she's in her pajamas. And she's like, I got to tell you something. Come down to the cellar, which like kind of creepy. Like, at that point, if I had been seeing what I had already been seeing in my nightmares of Freddie and everything, I'd be like, is this Freddie like messing with me? She goes down with her mom to the cellar kind of reluctantly. And her mom leads her to the furnace. And the furnace, you know, isn't on at this moment, but they sit in front of the furnace for a second. And her mom starts telling her a story who Freddie is. And come to find out that Freddie Krueger was a child murderer who had killed over 20 kids within the neighborhood. And some of the parents in the neighborhood had tracked him down to try to kind of get like their revenge. Here was my question about this is he's a child murderer, right? Child. So why is he now targeting teenagers? I know the answer sort of, but I want to hear your answer. My answer, it seems, is that he may be targeting the children of the parents who killed him. That was my answer, yes. But again, yeah, we don't know. There's not a clear answer in the film because there are nine films. The story is deep. It's pretty sure. Pretty sure you don't have to get that thick with this one. Don't get don't have to get get that thick. thick. But anyways, so then her mom goes as far to say like, yeah, I was one of the parents essentially that, you know, was involved in this. And they say that they followed Freddie down to a old boiler room. There's the significance where he used to carry out all of his child murders. And they basically brought a lot of gasoline and set it on fire. They didn't look back. And at this point too, Nancy's mom actually pulls out 
the glove with the knives. And I don't think personally that this film is super scary. I actually think like Freddie's like kind of funny and silly in a lot of these yes. scenes. For some reason, this scene kind of irked me a tiny bit because I feel like if I had been seeing someone in all of my dreams and then all of a sudden my mom is pulling out the dude's glove like with his like knives for fingers. I don't know. Just pulling out that glove in general kind of freaked me out like a so tiny bit. that's scary to you. I'm like mad. I'm like Bitch, not bitch. I, mothers are amazing. They protect their children. But like, what the fuck? I do. I'm yeah, mad. I do agree. It's kind of like, why haven't you said anything? And this now explains why you and dad were being so freaking weird. Yeah. You know. Was that the cause of their divorce? Like, we don't, there's so much more we can unpack here. There's so much more that we can unpack. <laughs> but like, I'm like, if I discovered that my mom was hoarding something that my potential killer was trying to use against me, I'd be like, what the, what? what? Yeah, very not okay. <laughs> very not okay. Lisa, I know you'd never do that. Thank you. Christine, you would never as well. No. No. We have amazing mothers. We do. Love you guys. Uh, we're very lucky. So then as we get in sort of the ending, you know, segment of the film, we have Nancy and Glenn. And, you know, again, as a reminder, Nancy came home to her entire house being barred up and she cannot get out and nothing can essentially get in. So Glenn cannot climb her trellis anymore because mom took it down. There's no more Romeo and Juliet situation going no on there. No Romeo and Juliet. Where art thou? There, there art thou barred up in a house. All he's able to do essentially is just call Nancy. So they talk on the phone for a little bit. And Nancy is trying to tell Glenn that, you know, based on the fact that she was able to pull out the hat from his, the nightmare, she believes that she might be able to bring him out and might be able to actually kill Freddie if she's able to get him out of the nightmare. Sorry. And that's another testament to this entire movie is the tenacity of Nancy. She's, she's a strong woman. It's, and you know, it's interesting. Wow. Said it again. I or, put a dollar in the jar. There we go. Jar. Put a dollar in the jar. But you know what's refreshing? <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> so I was watching something and it said, Wes Craven's daughter said, stop having bumbling, fumbling, clumsy, falling all over the place. Women, women are strong. We're not, we're not like that. So she wanted to have her dad. Like a strong character. A strong character. Oh, I a love final that. Girl. Yeah. So she influenced. First final girl. <laughs> yeah. So she influenced that into Nancy's character. Wow. So we see her being like a pushy bitch. Like she's like, let's I go. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that strong character in a female yep. for like one of the first times in a horror film. We're not like tops off and falling on the ground. Yeah. And being like damsels in distress. Like yes. we are the ones that are saving the situation. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I thought was so amazing about this film, even though it is pretty cheesy, but that was pretty cool that Wes Craven's daughter was self-aware enough as a woman to be like, let's change this narrative. Totally. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, and Nancy sort of just led the whole plan this entire yeah. way. I mean, even anything that she's involved Glenn in, like she's the one that's like making all of the decisions, telling him to be here at this time, do yeah. this at this time, which, you know, kind of leads me into, she asks Glenn to meet her at her front porch at 12 o'clock at midnight. 
And we don't know exactly what time it is at this time, but it's probably like, you know, nine, ten. Got a few hours that he can kind of kill. And then she's like, okay, you know, I'll meet you at about midnight. And we also see that on his side, he is listening to some records while also watching TV. And he's kind of trying not to fall asleep, but he's also like literally laying in bed. So like it, it can be assumed that he's probably going to fall asleep just like he fell asleep yeah. when he was supposed to be standing guard trying to watch her. And Nancy kind of on her end is getting ready to sneak out and she ends up trying to call Glenn. Glenn's parents have sort of a separate moment and scene about how, you know, Glenn's dad specifically is not happy that Glenn is hanging out with Nancy and that she's just trouble. And and so Nancy actually calls the house because she can't get a hold of Glenn and Glenn's not answering because surprise, he fell asleep. Yeah. And she is trying to get them to wake his ass up or at least check on him so that he can wake up and not be killed by Freddy. And the parents not get upset, but they're like, sorry, Glenn's sleeping. Good night. And you know what they do? They don't just hang up on her. They, You know what they oh, do? They unplug the goddamn un- phone. No, they just leave it like. Oh, yeah. They leave it on. On like off. They off leave the it hook. Off the hook. That's okay. the word. Yep. Yes. Off the hook. So they just like put the phone down Yep. when it's at- like attached to the cord so nobody can ring in or out. Yep. And Nancy, you know, is trying to call Glenn again and she's like, oh shit, like I can't get through. She gets really, really mad. She's really upset. She's like, oh, I can't call Glenn. Like I can't warn him. I can't do anything because she also can't get out of her bars on her like window too. So she's also still trying to kind of figure out how she's even going to get out of the house. And she rips her phone out of her wall. And is in in frustration and she starts kind of wrapping up the cord and she sets it on the bed as she decides she's going to try to actually sneak out of her front door. And she hears the phone ring, which is creepy because she had just ripped it out of the wall. So technically it should not be working. I think this is one of the like, not even scary, but like freaking grosser. It's gross. Yeah. But one of the like kind of funny practical scenes. And she answers the phone and of course it's Freddie and all of a sudden, the bottom part of the phone, the receiver turns into his like mouth and his tongue. And it kind of like does a weird little lick gesture. Yeah. And she drops it. She freaks out. And I actually read a fact about this that she asked if she could keep that prop after the movie because they had made it like an actual prop. And I don't know if they gave it to her, but I they said everyone on the set thought it was kind of weird that she asked for it. I mean, like low key good for her. Yeah. No, I mean, I hope she got it because that's. It's kind of a, an iconic scene. iconic, but also like a lot of great scenes in this film. But that one was the one that like, yeah, kind of gross. Yeah. Then we we get back to Glenn and his perspective in his room. And here is something I have been waiting to mention almost the entire episode is it's very late at night. He has obviously fallen asleep. He's got his headphones on. The TV is still on. And the TV says it is midnight. Thank you for tuning into KRGR Radio, which if you can catch that, that is Kruger Radio. And they're playing the Star Spangled Banner, which reminds me of Poltergeist in the very opening scene when it's late at night and the TV's on and Star Spangled Banner is playing. I'm clapping because I just love all of this. I know. It's such a cool parallel. This is actually my favorite scene. And I know sometimes in our podcast, we talk, we have like a specific segment where we like talk about our favorite scenes, but I also want to talk about this now because it truly is my favorite scene. But we get the second time that we are using the rotating room effect here. Glenn, sadly, 
Mr. Johnny Depp, we love you. Yeah. He does get sucked into the bed by Freddy because, you know, he has fallen asleep and now Freddy can get him. And there's this blood scene using that rotating room effect that we talked about earlier. Where Tina's death scene was also in that same room. And they just repurposed it for Glenn's death scene. Yeah. And he gets sucked into the bed and in the hole of the bed, all of this blood comes gushing out in a huge geyser that goes up and into the ceiling and spreads along the entire ceiling, engulfing the entire thing. So it's essentially shot upside down, kind of. And the parents, Glenn's parents, end up hearing a lot of commotion and ruckus going on. And so his mom actually comes into the door and she sees like what's happening. And at this point, we get another shot of the room and we see the blood kind of pooling off into like a corner and a side. And I actually read a very compelling fact about this. 500 gallons of blood, fake blood, was actually used throughout the whole movie, but this scene took most of that. And they actually kind of messed up this scene and they only really had one take with the budget that they had and just with everything, all of the resources. And they messed it up because something had malfunctioned when the water or blood, quote unquote, was coming out. It started to kind of hit some wires and it started to uncontrollably like gush out of the hole that it was really, really hard for the people that were manually controlling the rotating room to control it. But it made for like the coolest scene when it was done and they definitely got the shot. Yeah, and Wes Craven was like, sick. Yeah, he was like, actually, that worked out really well. And no one magically got hurt, too, which was crazy because we actually found out later on that several of the operators and camera operators were in these, like, seats that were attached to the room so that they were essentially, like, buckled in. And if the room was rotating, they were kind of rotating with it. And in the ending position, they were stuck upside down for over 20 minutes. Yes. But everyone was okay. No one got hurt. And they got the shot. So it was pretty magical. If you have not seen it, I don't know what you're doing and where you're listening to this. You're like, (laughs) go do that because it's a pretty epic shot. Yeah. And another thing I want to point out about that scene too, and this whole like rotating room scene actually originated with Fred Astaire's film, The Royal Wedding in 1951, as pointed out by the producer. When he and I actually first watched the film a few weeks ago together, that was one of the first things he said was, he's like, I know I've seen this scene before. And he's kind of a fan of some of the older musical films, especially with like Fred Astaire. He loves the dance. (laughs) And uh, he mentioned, hey, I think that actually this was originated in this film and we did a little bit of research and it was really, really cool to see actually how Fred Astaire even did the scene back in 1951 with no body doubles or anything. So go and watch that if you if you can. So sadly, after we obviously lose Glenn, I mean, he was absolutely pulverized into liquid. Do you think that that much liquid is one? No, no, okay. no, no, no. I think it's supposed to be like other people. Unbelievably, like an unbelievable amount. Like it's supposed to be crazy to clean up an unbelievable amount that would not be in one bot. It's supposed to be just like outrageous, I think. Beautiful. Love that. I yeah. love that yeah, yeah, yeah. for them. No, totally. Yeah. And so, you know, Nancy sees the commotion that's going on across the street because all of a sudden now the cops, including her dad and ambulance, everyone is across the street and she knows that something has happened to Glenn and 
she can't get out of the house. Uh, very, I'm running out of words. A gripping fact during this scene, too, is that, you know, we have just seen Glenn get absolutely pulverized into liquid. And it, it's a little bit funny, but not funny. But an ambulance rolls up with a stretcher to his house. And like, that, like that's to not going to happen. Look, liquid on. To put liquid. They should have just brought buckets. Bottles. (laughs) Buckets, bottles, bowls. (laughs) They actually did bring a bowl because some of the liquid started to leak from the roof. Right, that's right. uh, From the the ceiling of the bottom floor underneath Glenn's bedroom into the bottom floor. So, But also like R.I.P. Glenn. R.I.P. Glenn, R.I.P. Johnny Depp. You made it pretty far for a horror movie. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree too. (laughs) (laughs) And Nancy is freaking out. She has tried several times to already leave her her house in some sort of way and she can't get out. And her mom will not let her out either. Her mom is basically staked out on the couch and telling her, Nancy, you are going to get some sleep tonight. You are not going to go out of this house, blah, blah, blah. She's like, mother, give me the key. And, you know, obviously that doesn't happen. So Nancy ends up calling Glenn's house and getting her dad on the phone and telling her dad, hey, I know that it's Freddie that did this. Please, dad, like if you could just help me, if someone could help me, I can get him and bring him out of my dream and you can kill him or arrest him in real life if I can just get him out. That's what's cool about Nancy is she's, like we keep saying, the original final girl. She's to fix this this yes. situation and to keep anyone else from getting killed again. Yeah. Like not even is she just trying to save herself. She's like, no, we're going to stop Nobody this Nobody else will get hurt from exactly. this. Exactly. Even though a lot of people have gotten hurt. Already. But out of her control. Out of her control. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, ju- we'll look past that. Yeah. And she tells her dad, if you can just please come and get me in 20 minutes or come and check on me in 20 minutes, I will have this guy that will give me enough time to basically have a nightmare or go into my nightmare, get Freddy and bring him out so that you can arrest him. And she does make a note that at this point it is 12, 10 a.m. So it's a little bit after midnight. And she tells her dad that will put us at half past midnight and we will get the guy. I know that she's tired because she hasn't been sleeping, like, obviously, but I wish I could fall asleep that easily. No? I can't relate because I, I actually can. Okay, well, fuck off. Yeah, I can. If I'm okay. really tired, well, I can. Uh, you should know this about me. Well, you should know that I can't sleep at all. Maybe you, I'm Freddy Krueger. Okay, and I've just been sleeping next to you for <laughs> years. Okay. Don't drop that kind of a bomb on me on this podcast. We'll see. <laughs> I'm spending the night tonight. I know. I know. I'm scared. (laughs) Producer, can you stay too? Jeez. Group sleepover. But if some of you are wondering about the booby traps that she was reading about. Yes. This is where they come back into play. And I just want to say that during this point in the film, I'm hitting my pen really hard against my notebook. This was absolutely the inspiration for Home Alone. And I don't um, care what you say. 100% she Kevin McAllister the fuck out of the she house. She did so many things in the shortest amount of time I've ever seen. And so many cool things to try to catch Freddie in the act and bring him home. Literally, Kevin McAllister the fuck out of it. She really did. She really did. And I would love to hear what Macaulay Culkin thinks about this film. And should the inspiration we get him on here? I think we should. So okay. Macaulay, this is a, a formal invitation for you to come onto the podcast. Please. And I'd love to talk about your experience on Home Alone because actually, like, we really, like, really love like, that like, film. We, like, want to talk like, to you about like, that one. We'd love to talk with you about it. It's low-key a horror film, too, if you think about it. Joe I, Pesci would absolutely agree. And so she makes 
make several booby traps to try and, you know, essentially stop him in any way. Or if he does come into the real world, you know, to do something to sort of hurt him or at least it's nothing like to really kill him necessarily, but just to kind of either slow him down or make it easier for him to be caught. So here was the thing that I got confused about is in the dreams, he like can't be killed necessarily. But when he's pulled out of the dreams and he's brought into real life, then he's more vulnerable. And that's where we get into the scene where, you know, he's with Nancy and he's in real life. Yeah. It does get very confusing when you're going back and forth between like what's a nightmare, what's a dream, what's not. But I think it's definitely like supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be this fluidity between reality and dreaming and like what is real because I read a lot of novels too that have a lot of plot twists I feel like especially in this film I was sort of preparing myself at any time to think that anything could possibly be a dream I mean even at the end of this film it's like it it was all a dream you know you're just like (laughs) you never know and so you know Nancy is ready and she essentially puts herself into this dream state in this final part of the film and she goes to the cellar during her dream then goes out of a door, essentially, that leads just directly to the boiler room, of course, and she calls Freddie's name. She's like, let's get this guy out of here. I'm, like, ready to bring him, you know, forward. And but she... oh, Is she in the boiler room at this point, or is she in her basement? She was in her basement, and then it led to the boiler room. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And Freddie chases her. And they end up in her front yard. He disappears and she actually thinks for a moment that she has woken up without him. And she is yelling to the cops across the street, like, please get my dad, get my dad, you assholes. Like she's like, again, because don't forget, she can't get out of her actual house in real life. Her mom has barred up all the windows, is not letting her out of the door. And her mom is like, no help whatsoever. And at this point, her dad actually does finally run over over. Nancy is fighting Freddie in her dreams. She's trying to get him out so that her dad can, you know, arrest him and what have you. And she sort of thinks that she has woken up, I believe, at this point and thinks that she has like kind of brought Freddie out into this, you know, reality and into the real world. And I want to mention that too, before this, she in the boiler room while they were in the nightmare still, she actually was able to pour some gasoline onto Freddie and she actually lights him on fire. And we see this like epic scene of him completely engulfed in flames, but sort of still kind of like walking around. So he's not fully dead or anything. He doesn't fall to the ground. And then she now is back in her house. And again, I I apologize if I'm kind of jerking around here in the in the different scenes, but it's the dream world. So nothing really makes sense. And there's kind of like ins and outs between reality and the dreams. But she calls for her dad across the street and she calls to some of the cops and she's and again, they're, you know, they're at Glenn's house. They're trying to clean up the crime scene over there. And she's like, get my dad, you asshole. And so her dad ends up coming in. And when her dad comes in with some of his other cop friends, they actually find some flame footprints that are going up the stairs to her mom's room. And this is a pretty sad scene because Uh obviously she doesn't have the best relationship with her mom. But they open up the door and they see Freddie on top of the mom on the bed and he is still covered in flames and she ends up lighting on fire. And the dad, Lieutenant Thompson, he actually tries to put a blanket like over both of them. And what happens is Freddie completely disappears and all of a sudden we see this weird scene. It's just like the mom's burnt skeleton. And in the bed, we see her sort of sink into this 
blue abyss, like blue glowy abyss. And she, it's kind of funny, but still sad, but she sort of does a little wave with her skeleton. Yeah. She like disintegrates into (laughs) the abyss. I don't know why it reminds me of Beetlejuice. I I could see that. You know what I mean? I don't know. But it's like a, not a metaphor, but just like showing relationships and how the the, the film, dynamics. The dynamics, yeah. Yeah. And then Nancy is trying to run away from Freddie still. And Freddie, you know, confronts her in her mom's room as all of this is happening. And she basically tells Freddie, I'm not going to give you like yeah. energy. And I need so, you to give me my energy back. That was something that I wrote down is extremely powerful, not just because in real life, it's pretty great too for anything she says you're just a dream i take back every bit of energy i gave you and i'm like yeah bitch i take i take back every bit of energy i gave anything that does not serve me so, 1000%. Yeah. So yep. that was a powerful quote for me. So yep. I definitely wrote that down. <laughs> yeah. No, I I love that quote and you see her sort of she turns her back on Freddie, she reaches for the doorknob and he sort of tries to reach after her and you see him sort of like disappear yeah. and it's a weird scene that I feel like we've seen in a lot of other movies. I just can't think of exactly what it is, but it's just this sort of like disappearing like, you know, she is the strong one, she's moving forward in one direction and that bad energy is just peeling off you know it's it's definitely a, an energy thing it's like if you give something energy it will feed off of you if you don't yep it won't exactly and you know this sets us up really well for our final scene too here which all of a sudden and like i said nancy was kind of reaching for the doorknob in that scene where she takes the energy back from freddie but she kind of asks freddie in that previous scene to give her all of her friends back and her mom and very next scene as she does walk through that door she sees her mom and her mom is next to her they're in front of their house it's a very bright day but very foggy it's like utopian but like with a weird twist on it yeah it's very bright brighter than the entire film it definitely has a full-on different feel from any other scene and she sees her friends and they're picking her up you know to go to school and it's all of her people that have passed throughout the film it's the core four that she's been core four yeah so it's Tina, it's Rod, it's Glenn, and Nancy, they're going to Glenn's bitching Cadillac. Which we think that he might have gotten from his parents that might be drug lords. I don't know. Yes. Not confirmed. But, you know, we don't speculate, but we do. Yeah. But so they're, they've been reunited at the end of this film, and they jump in the car, and it's like happiness and then they're all driving away it's like oh my gosh we're all so happy and we're back together and then the top of the convertible in ohio by the way again who has a convertible in ohio but the roof closes and it's symbolic of freddy's sweater so it's green and red patterned on the roof of the striped pattern yes On the roof of the convertible. And so then we're like, And their oh, windows fuck. start going up and they're yeah. all kind of freaking out in the car. They're all like, what is happening? And Nancy's like, Glenn, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know what's happening. So then we're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. Freddie's back. And then, not interesting, but um, <laughs> insightful is... Good one. Good thank one. you. Glamorous? Thank you. Not glamorous. Insightful. Charming? I'd say. I wouldn't say it's charming either. Compelling? Sure. I'm just I'm just on what's the, wrong with the thesaurus.com. It's good. I'm just giving you other options. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So Wes did not want Freddie to have his comeuppance at the end. He wanted the teens to drive away and have a nice long life. And the producer 
He said, no, I want Freddy to have another life. So he obviously had more lives because there was nine sequels. The producer of the film, Bob, say... Shay. Shay. <laughs> the producer of the film... We've had Bob, a lot of wine in this podcast, so please yes. beware. The producer of this film, Bob Shay, got his way. <laughs> he wanted a world in which Freddy could live on. The equal opportunities was, it was kind of, you know, a blurred line. What actually happened? Obviously, we know now that there are more sequels. He lives on, but... Like, the ending is very ambiguous. You yeah. don't really know if Freddy necessarily won or if this is... You don't know if this is real. Is this a dream? Which is the whole freaking movie. It's like you don't know sometimes like whether they're in a dream, a nightmare, or like what they're in. So this is also kind of a funny story is when they were trying to sell this to a production company, they wanted both this Freddy Krueger like car scene that we just talked about and the mom getting taken away scene. And so they had to last minute put it together like in the studio while the production company was like watching it. They had to. Strip. Oh, yeah, they did. They had the production. They had, like, some suits on set. Yes. Like, the and, last few days yeah, of filming. Yeah, it was, like, a yeah. crazy... I'm sure it was extremely stressful, so good for you guys. But so once that car drives away that is going to kill all the kids, potentially, but not because... We don't know for sure. Yeah. They cut back to the house, and it's the mom, and she is standing in front of that blue door, and all <laughs> of a sudden... kind of, like, waving the kids yeah, off. She's yeah, she's like, oh, I'm so happy, even though I just saw you get taken away by, like, a murder yeah. van. Yeah. <laughs> murder convertible. A murder convertible, yes. And so then a hand comes out of the top of the glass door and it just brings her inside. And it's so evidently a cheesy dummy doll. It's so bad. <laughs> it's literally like a blow-up doll because yeah. that's probably it all like that a can... sex doll. No, that's literally all that could probably fit through that little... Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, on a front door, sometimes they have those little, like a tiny little looky-loo window and literally Freddy just like reaches his hand, breaks the glass and grabs the mom and just sucks her in like she's a blow-up doll. And, 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 then, and then, then, then it ends. ends. We don't know much after that. That's it. Like, we know nothing. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Hot takes. It was a lot of redundancy. There was definitely a lot of redundancy, I think, with a lot of, to our points earlier, with a lot of the dream sequences followed the same pattern. And I do kind of wonder if that was purposeful. The dreams could have been different enough to where they're all still seeing Freddy, but at least, like, in different ways, yeah. you know. That's why, like, I barely remember a lot of these scenes is just the redundancy, but yeah. it was a good film. Yeah, totally. In the 80s, I feel like it was a great film. Really great effects, which we really liked. We love that it gave way to some of our favorite actors in the yes. horror genre or even other genres today. And even like you said effects, but like special effects, not bad. Yeah, no. Pretty good. And I, I think I, I love that I got to learn more about the rotating room effect, which yeah. like definitely the producer had a big help in. I guess, Ali, like what was your favorite scene, would you say? I know I kind of mentioned mine already was that blood scene with Glenn. It's just My so well done. I have a hot takes section in my notebook and a johnny depp is so hot so hot i hope he's of age in this film i'm pretty sure he i'm is. pretty sure he is yeah but i think that's probably my favorite scene too just knowing yeah. the technicality behind it and just it, it was so well even done. not knowing how it's shot it's pretty visually impressive yeah so totally. i thought that was amazing also he's wearing like a crop top in it <laughs> which i love 
And there are multiple scenes, too. Like, there's also, if you know any of the Freddy Krueger, like, franchise, there's an iconic scene later on in, I forget exactly which film it is, where there's, like, a waterbed scene. And so I love that they sort of kept with, like, the bed theme, but this is, like, what set the tone with everything. Also, another hot take is what I'm going to say for us, people of this generation, good thing we have cell phones. Yep, because now, because we can call people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now we can call people. <laughs> and if our line is down, we're good. We could still call. <laughs> and one of my favorite, I know I just spoke about a great line from Nancy, but another great line she says is, this is a dream, it isn't real. This is a dream, it isn't real. Yep. And to me, I'm like, because I spoke about my nightmares, I'm like, Oh. Like, have we learned some valuable lessons? I think I learned some valuable Nancy. lessons. Yeah. And what did what did she say too about like you you're taking all this energy from me and yes, I'm taking exactly. it back from you? Like so, you are not going to do this. Great writing, Wes Love Craven. The writing. Yeah. Love the writing. So hot takes. Great movie. And Emma, was this scary though? As a child or as a younger, like adolescent, this definitely scared me. But I will say like now, the very last scene with the mom getting sucked through the window, <laughs> I showed it to one of my my gals, Carly, who does get very scared by horror movies. And I showed it to her on our plane ride home and she giggled and thought it was kind of funny because oh, okay. I feel like Freddy Krueger does have that. He just has that comedic sort of edge. Which I low-key love about yeah. this franchise is he's comedy. Yeah. He's comedic relief. And yes, it's a little scary. And especially when you think about like your dreams and a lot of people don't watch horror movies because they have nightmares, which is exactly what this film is playing into. You know? Yeah. I watched this with my parents two days ago and my mom the next day said, did you have nightmares? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> did You're you? Like, not really scared. Did she have any? I hope not. Oh. <laughs> wow, I'm so self-involved. <laughs> I didn't ask her. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> and I will say before we end our podcast today, we definitely want to answer our trivia questions from the day. So, Ali, do you want to kick us off yes, with the answer I for number one? definitely kick us off. And the question was, which rapper sang the 1988 hit single Nightmare on My Street? And before I look at the answer, I would like to know what both of us put down. I put Tupac. So I put a couple different. Did you put Eminem? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I put Eminem, Will Smith, and Tupac. Okay. So let me reveal this answer. Oh my gosh. What was it? Will Smith. What? I thought about like like 80s, 90s rappers at the time. And he talks about Freddy? You guys, I am brilliant. Oh my, I am I'm shocked. Shook. I am shook too. Oh, shooketh. Wow, sorry, I'm so brilliant. All right, you go now. Wait, <laughs> number that two. was like actually wild. Okay, so number two, the question was, this film uses a rotating room, practical effect, and is one of the first five films to use it, but not the first horror film. Name that film. What did you answer, Allie? Oh, I put Royal Wedding. That's not a horror movie. I wasn't listening that close, okay? (laughs) I put Poltergeist, so I get that point. Wait. So we've got one-to-one right now. You got the first one with Will Smith. I put Tupac, but so we're one-to-one. So this last one is a tiebreaker, Allison. I'm almost positive we're both going to get this right. I hope so. Yeah, we are. So what film is Nancy watching as she attempts to stay awake? Emma, what do you say? 
So my answer was Evil Dead, but I couldn't figure out if it was like the first or the second one. I think I put Evil Dead the first one. So it is the first Evil Dead, which is iconic. It's one of my favorite horror films. And what's kind of cool is that in the second Evil Dead, which is my favorite out of the two or the oh, three. Yeah. yeah. I love I Evil love Dead Evil too. the second Evil Dead. They have in the cabinet, like the tool cabinet where Ash goes, please watch Evil Dead if you haven't. Oh my gosh. But when it, Ash goes into the tool shed, you can see Freddy's oh, his, glove. His glove. Oh yes. my God. Yes. And I know that there was like a fact about Evil Dead and like a lot of these, like several of these films have little odes to each other mm-hmm. as sort of like a joke, like in a way, like between all of them, between Wes Craven and like some of the, the other creators. So. I think it's brilliant. I think that's awesome to like put little Easter eggs in films and play with your homies and I, I agree. It's yeah. It's great. <laughs> but again, this, film to me isn't scary it's classic and it's worth watching 100 yeah thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of spooky chicks and horror flicks we are hoping that you guys love today's episode on a nightmare on elm street and please like us on instagram at spooky chicks horror flicks you can subscribe to our patreon spooky chicks and horror flicks and we have several different levels that you can be a patron for and if you could please leave us a five-star rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That would be amazing. And we can't wait to review our next film for you. Stay spooky, fuckers.